Hello, I'm Mariette Sneumann. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Introducing you to a wide range of professionals ready to inform and inspire. Today's topic is Effective Wealth Management for High Net Worth Women. My guest is Nicola Langridge, Wealth Manager at Private Client Holdings in Cape Town. Welcome, Nicola. Thank you, Mariette. To our listeners, after our conversation, Nicola will give us her three tips on investing. And then it will be time for a fun question. Nicola, would you like to tell us more about your work? I'm a wealth manager at Private Client Holdings, as you said, and we we work in the higher net worth space. But um, we work on a family office model, which means that we incorporate not only wealth management, but fiduciary, um, which is your will and your estate planning, your long-term insurance, your tax planning, your asset management, your private banking, all under one roof. So it's providing that holistic service with one person to chat to. And I think that's that's what makes it so important to me, that the world of investing to most people is so scary. And, and a lot of the time, women have kind of stepped away from, from that part and left it to their husbands. And when they do step into it, having one person to explain the bigger picture is so important. So... So that's what I do. I'm that contact person to make sure that all aspects of your your wealth is, is taken care of. You touched on two points. The one thing is that financial wellness is something that is difficult to many people. And I was thinking that just like mental health, money can be a very sensitive topic. And then the second thing you mentioned was that men traditionally have taken care of the money. What is your general view on this? And then secondly, how does it play out in the high net worth and ultra high net worth space? So there are many parts of this question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the financial wellness part of it. And yes, financial wellness is so important because it, it ties into your stress levels. If you're constantly stressed and worried about your money, you're going to have higher stress levels, which is going to affect your your health and and your life in general. And that's where your relationship with money comes in. To, to be comfortable with where your wealth is, you have to understand your relationship with money. And, and our relationship with money is different for every person because our beliefs are shaped by your individual experiences. It's passed down from your parents, it's influenced by your environment and your money story in relation to investment and debt and saving, it builds up over time. It creates this default money personality that, that creates a set of behaviors and patterns that you default to when you're not constant, consciously thinking about your actions. So as a wealth manager, for me, it's so important to understand that relationship with money because if I'm going to set up an investment that doesn't tie in with your relationship with money, it's going to cause stress for you. You're not going to stick to those goals long term. So getting that understanding of relationship with money right 
um, assists us to make sure that your overall financial wellness is taken care of, which in turn makes it a less stressful environment. So, so that covers the financial wellness bit. And then, yes, um, investing as a woman tends to be different to investing as a man. Um, studies have shown that women tend to have a more conservative approach to investing, um, generally preferring lower risk investments, um, having higher cash portions. But yet in the 2008 financial crisis, women were less likely to sell their stocks than men. So it's starting to wonder if that stereotype of the risk-averse female investor can always be assumed, especially in the higher net worth world. And in the higher net worth world, if you look at the ultra-high net worth, there's stats that's out showing that only 11% of the ultra-high net worth world are women. But that number is growing really fast. And it's interesting that number is growing in the kind of 55 to 65-year age gap with many women starting new business ventures and new career paths in, in that stage of their life and building a lot of wealth. So that notion that, you know, the ultra high net with women is because of divorce or because of inheritance is so skewed because in most parts, especially in the emerging markets, it's actual female entrepreneurs that's that's holding that higher net worth space. And interesting stats there, Barclays reported a 67% increase in females over 55s opening new business accounts globally in the last decade and a 132% increase of women of 65 and over, which is a huge leap. There's definitely a lot of changes in, in the higher net worth space for women. And I think as wealth managers, we need to be careful to just assign the risk averse category to all women and to make sure that we understand what what their financial goals and purposes are and what their relationship with money is. And you yourself work with both men and women. Yes, I work with both men and women. I, I am the only female wealth manager in the team of 12. So there's been a natural progression to most of my book being woman, I guess, from a relatable aspect. I think about 80% of my book um, are women. But I also quite enjoy working with medical professionals. I'm one of the only members in my family that's not a medical professional. So I have a good understanding of that world. So my focus is primarily on women and then secondary on, on helping medical specialists. Why is it so important to you that women should understand their wealth and know how to nurture it? It's important because if you if you understand it, you're empowering yourself to be independent. You're empowering yourself to grow towards goals that that are important to you. So a lot of women traditionally, and I do still see it in my book, the husband tend to come to the meeting and the, and the wife decides to stay back. But when your husband eventually passes away or you get divorced, then you are left with having to manage finances that that you weren't managing before. And it's suddenly in this difficult time of your life, you're, you're having to understand everything. And the same goes for a young female entrepreneur. If you understand what investing means, if you understand how to work towards goals, you have a much higher chance to actually achieve those goals than than if you didn't understand it. And in general, we tend to avoid issues. The, the normal ostrich approach, we stick our head in the sand when it's something that's uncomfortable or something that we don't know about. But the more you avoid something, 
the bigger the problem comes. It just kicks the can down the road. If you avoid paying your fuel debt, if you avoid investing um, towards retirement, that problem doesn't go away. But if you understand what it's about, it's so much easier to put structures in place and to work towards those goals. Yes, and I'm sure a podcast episode like this one can help people who have avoided maybe the topic to see that it's not that intimidating. Yes, I mean, it's it's a scary topic to talk about. And I often have people talk to me for the first time. I find it especially in medical professionals when the first sentence that comes out of their mouth is, you have to excuse me, I understand absolutely nothing about finance. Um, you might have to repeat yourself a thousand times. And I usually carry on with, well, I understand absolutely nothing about brain surgery. <laughs> so it, I'm not going to start operating on a brain. We all, we've all studied for long. We're all professionals and experts in our own field of, of work. And my goal and my job is to explain it to you in a way that that you understand. And I think you need to find a wealth manager that you can relate to that will explain it in a way that's not scary to you. Because if, if there's a lot of structure put in place and it's explained in a way that you understand, it's actually quite an empowering and freeing feeling to know that you have goals at the end of the day, you know what you have to do to work towards them. You're meeting every six months with your wealth manager and you can see how you're progressing towards that goal. It doesn't have to be a scary topic. You just have to take that first step to open the conversation. How does our changing world influence these goals? Life is never going to happen in a straight line. And I think the last few years, COVID, and then all of a sudden, the war straight after, and then recessions has shown us that we can't just assume that things will carry on the way it is. But that's where having your general goals in place, but meeting often with a wealth manager and making sure that as the world adjusts, your plans and your structures adjust with it. And I think if you look at history over a long period of time, that little, you know, one of my clients calls it the wriggly worm. That wriggly worm goes up and down all the time, but it tends to kind of lean towards the right and up. So I think just removing the fear out of it and taking a step back and realizing that these, you know, the world goes into crisis stage and then everything booms and goes up again and then it goes into crisis stage and understanding that you have planned for both scenarios and not to get caught up in the noise is so important. And and obviously to stay with someone who keeps up with the times and understands how the world evolves and what is out there that's new and what can be beneficial to you and, and what should be avoided. Nicola, you've touched on some interesting differences between men and women regarding investment. Would you like to say something about differences between men and women regarding the world's ultra-wealthy population? I've been looking at a lot of stats lately because I do quite a few seminars to women and I always like to see what the stats are out there and what the patterns are. And what is interesting is that there's a big shift in the female ultra-high net worth space towards philanthropy. So there's a almost 20% of ultra-high net worth females spend a bulk of their time in the non-profit and social organization sector um, whereas only about 5% of the ultra-high net worth men spend their time in this sector. And I think this is part of 
women's need to nurture. We nurture our children, we nurture our parents. It's natural for us to take care of others. And, and this spills into this world where we have a common interest to societal issues and welfare inequality, children and the environment. We, we naturally get involved with that sector. And it's good to see as the higher net worth population of women or percentage of women increases that shift towards that sector, the social organization sector getting getting bigger because of the female interest. That's fascinating. Nicola, you've mentioned some factors which make investing as a woman different to investing as a man. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? Yes, when it comes to finances, women have arguably less room for error than men on big financial decisions. And this is because we live longer. On average, um, we live longer by about seven years to our partners. According to statistics, we unfortunately still earn less. Stats show that we still earn less in most job categories. And we move in and out of the workforce more for various reasons. And this is because we are having children, taking care of family members. So we don't have that solid start and staying in the workforce for a long time as men do. So we have a longer period of lifespan to save for but we have less time in the workforce. So it's just important to note and, and to not stick to that general statistics of, you know, you need to put X amount away for retirement. You have to take your actual scenario when you're calculating how much you need for retirement or how much you need for certain goals. And that calculation will definitely look different between men and women. Yes, and once again, that's where you offer a very individualized approach. Yes, our approach is very individualized. It's We call it a goals-based approach to wealth management. So basically, we would set what your goals are, and there are different ways that I approach how these goals are set, and I can touch on them in a moment. But then we go and look at what are your assets? What is your cash flow? How much money can you put aside per month? And then we try and match those assets and cash flow to what your goals are in a strategy. And once that strategy is put in place, we review that strategy often to make sure that that you are still on track for those goals. And then the next point would be, how do we go about setting those goals? So there are three questions that I tend to ask. The first one is just around financial security, and that will be different for every single person. Um, nobody's retirement looks the same. Some people like working till late in their life. Some people consult and partially retire. So it's understanding what retirement looks like for you and having the basics covered. So making sure that you have a roof over your head, food, education for your kids, leaving a legacy. So we first go about setting those goals around security. But then it's also just as important to, to ask what your dreams are and what brings you joy. So this is often travel. I had a client who I asked once, how long would she like to travel for? You know, are we working at an hour to about 80? And she said, absolutely not. If I can't travel in the same way when I'm 80, they can still wheel me into onto a cruise ship until 90. <laughs> so these goals are going to look absolutely different for different people. A lot of people moving towards living in India, like my own mother or Bali, and living the more nomad style lifestyle and retirement, still consulting, which looks completely different to the old, you know, 
staying, retiring on a golf course and looking after the grandchildren. So it's important to understand what those dreams are, what makes your clients happy. I've got a client who always wanted to buy a villa in Italy or France and remodel it and sell it again. So finances can't be all about financial security. It needs to be there to enjoy life, to experience what gives you joy, um, and then to set your intention Set those goals with your advisor because you're way more likely to save and stick to to the plan if it's a clear goal that really matters to you. That's why we focus on this goals-based approach. So we make really sure that the goals are are thought of properly, that the goals that set in place make sense for you and your family. Um, we rate them according to importance and timeframes. And then, yes, and then assign your assets to them. So it, it's a more holistic approach to financing rather than just sticking it in one pot for retirement. Now, if, if the different goals have different timeframes and levels of importance, do you have any examples to offer us? I think a recent example, which might be a good one to use, is a couple with two young boys. Um, I think they were around... Oh, six and nine and they were a high earning family and for this family it was quite important that their boys had the opportunity to study in the UK if they wanted to because they did have UK passports um, so we looked at what this would mean we figured out exactly how much it would cost in today's value terms for the university fees for for living expenses there for books everything the entire package and once we had that number we worked out the time frame. So the youngest or the eldest would need the funds in 10 years time and the youngest in 12 years time. And then we calculated what would need to be put away on a monthly basis. They didn't have one asset that they could put towards that goal, but they could put quite a high monthly amount away. And then we looked at the fact, okay, it's long term. So we could go into quite a growth portfolio because it's going to stay in the market for a while. Short-term blips is not going to matter as much. So we put them in a high growth portfolio. Also determined that these funds are going to be spent offshore. So it makes no point in saving it in RANs mm -hmm. um, due to the RAND volatility. So we invested it in an offshore portfolio. And that basically was then their goal. We're putting away a certain amount of money in a high growth portfolio. We're putting it away offshore, which would mean that the kids by the age of 18, when they do want to go to university, would have those funds available offshore hedged against the rand. So, yeah, that would be one example of how we would set those goals. Thank you. Uh, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned that Private Client Holdings offers a family office approach to wealth management, and you just touched on the aspects. Would you like to go into more detail? Sure. So there are six specialist pillars that, that um, work together to form this family office structure, and it basically means that we act as the chief financial officer for your client or for your family, making sure that all aspects of wealth is taken care of. So the main um, part where I'm involved with, obviously, is wealth management. It's where the initial contact is made and it's where these core strategies are developed. It's where we determine your goals that I just went through and where we touch base every six months to make sure we're on track. 
But then equally important is fiduciary services. So we have an amazing team of fiduciary specialists and they put together an estate plan and they review your will and any any relevant trust to make sure that that is in line with, with what we are doing as wealth manager. Um, because succession planning and intergenerational wealth transfers obviously a very important part of, of the overall picture. So to maybe provide an example, the team told me a story that happened recently about a family asking them for help on an aunt's estate. And this aunt had worked for many years, both offshore and locally, and she'd built up quite a decent portfolio, both offshore and at home, including a, a very nice family home. But what she didn't realize when she was setting up this will was she had left her offshore estate to an to a charity and her local estate to the family. But when your estate duty is calculated, it's calculated on your worldwide assets, but it's paid only from your local estate. So due to this very large offshore estate, most of the local estate went towards the state duty, forcing the family to sell the home due to liquidity issues. And this was obviously not her intention with this will. And a proper estate plan would have prevented this problem. There are various measures that could have been put in place to avoid it. And then tax and accounting gets involved with optimizing tax strategies and how to fix your, your holistic plan. We plan for capital gains tax, for provisional tax payments. All of these large tax payments can be so cumbersome and should be planned for effectively. And it's vital for your tax specialist and your wealth manager to be on the same page. So, so apart from the tax planning um, in the tax and accounting department, they also offer other services like payroll, secretarial services, monthly accounting, auditing, and yeah, the, the range goes on. So kind of all of the normal financial services, tax and accounting services is offered in that department. And then asset management will assist with investing your assets um, with the various investment houses or structures that we've selected. We have unit trusts, model portfolios, segregated share portfolios, both locally and offshore. It's a wide range of portfolios offered. And then to simplify the transfer funds from your investment and the forex for offshore funds, we also have a cash management and forex team which uses Investor Corporate's cash management service, and they act as your private banker to ensure that all your investments are put in place in a timely and accurate manner. And then lastly, risk management. We only do long-term insurance. We, we don't offer short-term insurance solutions. Um, and these conversations form part around estate planning and income protection, being cognizant that all of your long-term insurance matters are taken care of. Um, and I can give an example here too. I had a medical specialist client of mine that was recently quite shocked that he had life cover of nearly 30 million rand thanks to a small policy that he took out in his first year of internship with a massive escalation on it. And I see this quite often. They take a tiny policy out that they kind of forget about. And then when I do a deep dive later, it because it grows every year, they reach in their mid-50s and they suddenly have this massive life insurance. And as excited as his wife was to find out about this life policy in the mm. meeting, it actually causes a big estate duty issue. Because I think what people don't understand is that when this 30 million pays out, even though it's paying out to your wife or it's paying out to your kids, it still forms part of your estate. And it can very easily 
to push you from the 20% estate duty bracket into the 25% bracket. So what this was causing was actually a big estate duty issue in his portfolio if both him and his wife was to pass away because the estate duty would be would skip his wife but it would be due when it's when it pays out to his children so what we did here was reduced his life cover and we took out what's called a dollar life cover so discovery offers this product and it allows you to have offshore insurance that doesn't form part of your local estate, provided that it pays out into an offshore bank account. And for this client, it worked quite nicely. His kids want to study offshore one day. So it avoided the estate duty issue. He still had the same amount of life cover, but his kids would be paid out the funds offshore. So it's just making sure that you understand your client's need in terms of risk cover as well, because every need is going to be to be different. But if you understand it and it and you're calculating it with your estate plan and you're taking it into consideration with your wealth management plan and you're making sure that the tax specialist is giving their two cents, then the plan that comes out at the end of the day is a holistic plan that provides an integrated solution. And, and I think maybe something that I do need to say there is that even though we have this integrated solution, we are very mindful of the fact that people have existing relationship with service providers, whether this be a lawyer or an accountant that they've been happy with, you know, for a long time and they they don't have to switch all into all of our solutions. They can cherry pick. So we're quite happy to continue working with your accountant to make sure that you still get that same high level of holistic service. Thanks for explaining that. Now, another question is that effective wealth management also involves the behavioral aspect of investing. Could you say more about that? Yeah, so I think I touched on that a little bit earlier. Um, so the behavioral aspect is that the money personality aspect. And mm. interesting, there's a lot of studies that show that your your personality, money personality is set by the age of seven. And it does obviously change, like I mentioned earlier, with time, it, you know, you have habits passed on by your family, by your value system, by things that have happened to you in the past. So whether that's guilt around debt or shame or having enough or not having enough, that will all affect that money personality over time. But a big portion of it is set before the age of seven, Um which I always say makes me a bit nervous because I have a four and a seven-year-old and um, my four-year-old loves spending. Um, mm. <laughs> and whenever she asks for something and I say, you know, we need to we need to see if we can afford it, she will say, well, mommy, just go to work a little bit earlier tomorrow and work a little bit harder <laughs> and then you can go to the shop after work and buy it for me. Mm. So um, I think it, it's just a reminder as parents also that – if, if kids' money personality is set before seven, that we assist with making sure that the correct habits are set at a young age. Yes, that we are mindful of how we are operating. Correct. <laughs> Do you have a final word on financial wellness? Um, just to to not see it as something scary and and to remember that it's a big part of your wellness. I think when we focus on wellness, we so focus on, you know, eating the right thing and mindfulness and and making sure our mental wellness is good by seeing a psychologist if we need to or physical wellness by seeing a doctor. But but 
because money has traditionally been quite a taboo subject, we ignore the financial sense. And the financial wellness is such a big part of your overall life. And as I've mentioned before, it can cause so much stress unnecessarily. Whereas if you if you have the right advice and you're seeing a wealth manager that works with you, you can you can avoid that stress. And I think that's where I noted a wise woman in the industry once told me that choosing your wealth manager is like choosing your gynecologist. It's a relationship that needs to be with someone as you trust because these discussions happen at quite vulnerable times in your life. And it's not a relationship that you want to chop and change over time. It's choosing that person that you are are comfortable with and that when they're explaining things, it makes sense to you. Mm, that's a very good comparison. Uh, Nicola, where can listeners learn more about your work or contact you? In terms of our website, it's, it's got quite a bit of information and brochures and newsletters on it, and that's www.privateclient.co.za. Um, no S there after the private client. A lot of people had an S. Um, and then if you want to contact me, you can contact me at nicola at privateclient.co.za. I will attach the link to the website to the podcast on all the platforms. Great. Thank you. And now it's time for your three tips on investing. My three tips would probably be one, start investing early or if you are older, encourage your kids to invest early. I think creating those good habits from a very young age is so important. And then the second would be to stay away from instant growth or get rich schemes. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. There's always going to be new and shiny investment types offering massive returns out there. But I would be very cautious to put money in those schemes that, you know, that's in that goal that we spoke about for for your security. You know, if it's extra money that you don't mind losing, that's fine. But to just be careful and to remember that if, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And then the last one is to stay invested. Um, there's a lot of graphs that show you that if, if you stay invested over the long period of times, your, your investment is a lot better due to compounding than if you're going in and out of the market all the time. And I think here, here my four-year-old also had some wise words when I recently went and did a seminar. She asked me, what am I going to be talking about? And I said, mommy's going to go help some doctors on how to invest their money. And she said, well, that's super easy. You just take all the money that you get from granny and all the money that's lying around on the floor and you put it all in your money tin and you just never, ever open it. So I guess, I guess that's it. You put all your money in the tin and unless you really need it, you don't open it. You stay invested. Yeah. That's precious, the way she put it. Yeah. Are you ready for a fun question? I'll try. A little bird told me that you enjoy creating birthday cakes. Is that right? <laughs> yes, I do. I bake a lot for my children these days. But before I had kids, I did also um, do some special orders and sell some cake long time ago. Mm. Now, this question will take you to an ideal world. If you could have someone else bake the perfect cake for your birthday, no holds barred, 
What would you order? It would probably be a cheesecake. And it, my memory goes straight back to our wedding cake. We went through all these five million cake tastings and we found a lady in Stellenbosch, and I cannot remember her name, but she made this amazing cheesecake with little cheesecakes that go with it. And it was the best thing I've ever tasted in my life. And it had chocolate around the outside and cheesecake on the inside. And we we kind of giggled because at the end of most weddings, there's quite a bit of cake left and there was not a crumb left of our cake on our wedding day because this cake was just so amazing. Yeah, that's so, must have been... I'm quite sad that I can't remember her details because that would be my ideal birthday cake, mm. would be an absolute copy of the cake that we had for our wedding day. Yeah, that must have been a first. No cake left to take home. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Nicola, for shedding light on this complex relationship between women and money and for the interesting statistics. I particularly enjoyed those and then for offering some guidelines. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me today. It, it was a lot of fun. And to our listeners, it was good of you to join us. I'd be honored if you'd subscribe to this podcast series and rate it where you download your podcasts. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. Go to my website, www.marietsneiman.co.za for this episode's podcast notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on how to live a happier life and have more fulfilling relationships. Do follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneeman, Journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me with original music by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.